Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast presented by TasteWise. My name is Ron. I'm joined as always uh, by Miriam. And today we're going to be talking about inflation and specifically how uh, the rise in inflation is impacting the entire landscape of food service and what that means for distributors, for CPGs, for restaurants, basically everybody involved. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So, Miriam, every time we do uh, a podcast episode, it feels like we haven't done one in forever. Um, and this one also feels like... I, th- I think I haven't been on the podcast for about a month. But uh, we uh, have been talking about inflation, obviously, a lot here at the, uh, at the office. And it's interesting to, to look at how it's impacting different areas of the industry, right? Because for... Individually for restaurants, um, the cost of goods might be rising, uh, and then in, and then for products that are being sold on menus at those restaurants, maybe prices need to be adjusted in order to stay competitive with uh, other restaurants in the areas. What we're seeing is that there's an increased need, uh, basically from all parts of the supply chain, to constantly be tracking um, how price fluctuates um, across menus. Uh, specifically. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I do, now that I think of it, have a joke for you. Um, it's a specifically bad one. Um, but uh, As if the others uh, have not been bad. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, not the, you're not the first person to, to react with that sentence exactly. And I resent that because I think my dad jokes are, are amazing. Um, no, but this one is, uh, you'll, see, you'll hear it. It's bad, like on a few different levels. Um, so my wife told me that nothing will make her happier than a diamond necklace. So I got her nothing. I don't get it. Oh, nothing <laughs> would make her... <laughs> okay, the depth and breadth of badness in that joke is, I think, historic yeah. for this podcast. Um, I, really, I really hope that our editor, Daniel, chooses to keep the very awkward pause. <laughs> <laughs> Like the the wheels were turning in my brain, trying to figure it out. Yeah, amazing. Okay, so where should we start? So um, I want to introduce a little bit of a context for what's going on in inflation in the market. Um, I had an interesting conversation with someone from our sales team just a few minutes ago as we were preparing for this podcast that different folks in the food and beverage industry across different types of organizations, business models, um, products, et cetera, actually define inflation a little bit differently. Um, So inflation, as we all know, um, it's a topic that's been kind of top of mind for um, for everybody in the industry. As Ron kind of gave in that in that introduction at the start, um, inflation in economics, just very very broadly, is kind of a general increase in uh, prices uh, while there's a fall in the purchasing value of money. Right, so it has everything to do with currency and geopolitical. All of the stuff that we've been we've been talking about and hearing about um, in the news, very much influenced by you know the pandemic and the the war in Ukraine and all sorts of things going on, supply chain, etc. Um, but what's really really interesting to me and what I didn't know about before is that um, lots of different organizations track inflation differently um, and have different goals for understanding inflation. So it might be easy to say, 
obviously an organization needs to know about inflation so they can figure out how to price their products, right? Um, but it's actually a lot more complicated than that. And hopefully we're going to get into that um, today. But I want to start off by talking about um, the CPI, uh, so the Consumer Price Index uh, report for this month, for July, um, that came out from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, this is a uh, kind of a report on... Um, it's the statistics-driven report that the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics um, offers every month. And so they're tracking kind of on a month-to-month basis what inflation is doing in the economy based on category. Um, and then they also track it year over year. So it's a really interesting resource if you're interested in kind of getting into the, the nitty-gritty. Um, but the biggest takeaway here is that food pricing has gone up on average um, around 10% um, over the past year, which is significant. That's a very good jump. Um, energy is actually up 42%. Um, and those are kind of the two biggest, uh, you know, categories within the market of where we've seen inflation hit the hardest. Energy includes um, gasoline, right, which has been, at least in the U.S., a really big topic of conversation. Um, and anything that is not food or energy is actually only up around 6%. And I say only lightly, of course, 6% is a, is a huge jump. Um, so what that means, bottom line, consumers are feeling it in their wallets um, when they're going out to eat, when they're buying groceries, when they're you know consuming anything, whether it's energy or food, um, they're really feeling that impact. Um, and just a note for you that are kind of the data science nerds out there, these are not seasonally adjusted numbers. Um, if you're interested to check out the full report, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but the bottom line takeaway here, food has changed a lot in terms of pricing, um, both in the home and away from, and away from home. Um, if we look at actually uh, the kind of breakdown, so food at home um, is, you know, around 10% change year over year. Um, and food away from home is actually up around 12% year over year. So there's been a a larger increase in um, spending away from, or sorry, in uh, pricing away from home. That means restaurants, right? So when people go out to eat, they're spending 12% more than they would have um, last year. So that's really significant, right? And we've seen that probably all of us in our own lives. When we, you know, go to buy groceries, we've, we've seen that around 10% increase. And when we go out to eat, we've seen that 12% increase. Um, so let's get a little bit into like the nitty gritty. Um, I want to be clear here that all of this is based on retail. Um, and what we're tracking, uh, it, we don't track retail data. We find that, you know, moments of, of consumption, what we call it, uh, data actually is best understood through social media, through recipes and from home cooking. Um, so, t- or sorry, from home cooking, recipes, social media, and menus. So menus is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but before we look at TasteRise data, I actually want to um, do a little bit more looking at the CPI data because it's really interesting. So our friends at Yahoo Finance um, reported on this earlier in the week, um, just a really easy breakdown of the year-over-year changes in category prices in food and beverage. Um, so I'll just go through kind of top really, really quickly these numbers because I think they're really, really interesting. Um, so the price of eggs over the past year is up 33%. Um, so you're paying a full third more on average for eggs than you were a year ago. These are all for the U.S., by the way, um, but I'm sure we would see this reflected in other markets as well. Uh, the cost of butter is about 21% more expensive. Chicken is a f- almost 19%. Milk is 16 Coffee is also around 16 um, cookies, interestingly, is up 15%. And I read earlier that um, cookies, confectionery, and sweet food is actually one of the highest uh, categories of the highest changes. Um, and the other categories, I'll just, I won't read the numbers, but breakfast cereal, fish and seafood, bread, uncooked ground beef, pork, and fruits and vegetables. Um, so the and these are, these are uh, retail numbers? Yeah, so all of this is retail numbers. Um, I just want to give mm-hmm. people kind of a, a clear look at um, how you know much we're seeing in in the market um, these retail numbers going up, so that we can kind of benchmark when we look at menu prices in just a sec. It's interesting uh, to look at um, 
So, uh, like I, I see on on this list, for example, uh, that uh, coffee is up uh, almost sixteen percent um, year over year. Um, it's interesting later when we'll look at um, do the price hikes in retail correlate to the price uh, the prices of those same things in uh, away from home and like in in food service. Uh, because yeah. then there could be an opportunity to uncover things that were already underpriced or overpriced to see how much the, does the price need to be adjusted to kind of fit where it needs to be right now. Um, so yeah. it's going to be really interesting to compare that to, uh, to food service. Yeah, absolutely. And then in turn, tracking consumer behavior and how they're responding to the ways that, that brands and restaurants and distributors, et cetera, kind of make those strategic decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to kind of wrap up this this conversation about retail data. So interestingly, um, within these kind of grocery groups that I just walked through, so all this is retail data from grocery, um, the, we tracked that year over year. But if we look month over month, all of those categories have also increased, um, you know, over the, from, let's say, May to June or June to July. Um, but the only one of those categories to actually decline um, in June was the index for meat, poultry, fish, and eggs. So these proteins. And those actually fell not even half a percent, right? Um, so still over year over year, we're seeing a huge increase. And we just saw it as we walked through those numbers. Um, but month over month, there's interesting that there's a little bit of dip in these uh, in these protein categories. And you'll see when we talk about um, menu pricing uh, that we've actually seen the opposite. Those are actually some of the highest uh, you know, month-to-month changes um, on menu pricing. So something is going on here, um, and we definitely want to take a look at it and understand it. Um, so today we're going to do, we're going to look at inflation in a few different ways and its impact on food service. Um, we're going to look at it from the lens of ingredients, the lens of, um, categories. So mainly cuisine, um, the lens of like just product and and market share, uh, geographic locations, um, and also chains. So we're going to start with chains. Okay. Chains, do you mean, um, are chains are the mega chains behaving differently from uh, single locations, or how do things look like across uh, chains, kind of selling similar products? Uh, yes, to both. <laughs> the answer <laughs> is yes, yes, and um, yeah. so all of the the data that we're going to talk about now is for the last month um, for the U.S. only. If you're interested in other markets, um, talk to us, and we'd be happy to to walk you through it. And um, this mm-hmm. is all coming our food service solution, um, where we're able to look at real-time data essentially from um, menus across the country. So anything that's digitalized and has to do with food service um, in terms of menu, delivery menu, all that good stuff we take a look at. Um, and there's like a real a real wealth of information here. So we might not have time to get through all of it. We might have to do a second episode depending on how in-depth we go, but um, we'll start off by looking at chains. Um, so I'll start off with kind of the, the you know, overarching chain insights, and then we'll, we'll go into a little bit of the nitty gritty. So um, meat and cheese dominate right now um, inflation-driven menu item pricing changes. So that means that um, the things that we're seeing month to month change the most in terms of pricing on um, mega chain uh, menus have to do with meat and cheese. Um, part of that has to do with the fact that quick service, which is often you know what we see in, in these major chains, right? We're thinking about things like you know Subway, McDonald's, um, you know you name it, right? Uh, when we think about fast food, we often think about meat and cheese. Um, so what that means is that uh, meat and cheese is the thing that consumers are most often consuming in these loca- in these uh, in these chains, and they also happen to be the categories that are getting the most expensive. So there's a real you know market impact here. The prices are going up a lot. Um, and people are being impacted by quite a ton. Um, 
in particular, we're seeing chicken is actually a driver of price changes. So if you go back to that um, CPI kind of statistics right at the start, um, chicken is actually up almost 19% in retail. And we're seeing that reflected um, also in uh, in food service. So we're seeing that in, you know, these big and mega chains, um, we're, we're seeing that chicken is, is definitely a driver of price changes. If we keep kind of, kind of drilling down into chains, so um, between let's say Subway, McDonald's, Applebee's, and Pizza Hut, all of these have chicken-related dishes, right? That um, 40% of the menu items that have increased price in the last month involve chicken as an ingredient. Um, So it's not that the pricing has changed 40%, but that 40% of menu items that have increased price in the last month involve chicken as an ingredient. That's shocking. That's a huge number. Mm -hmm. Um, That means that when, you know, if you sat down at at a restaurant, any of the restaurants I just spoke about, so like Applebee's, Subway, Pizza Hut, et cetera, if you sat down a month ago to order, you know, a chicken breast or a chicken pizza or something like that, um, today, uh, when you look at that same menu and you see how many dishes have increased in price, 40% of those incre- increased price dishes actually have chicken. So chicken is for sure behind a lot of the changes that we're seeing here. Um, just to give you a few other examples at a place like Applebee's, right? Um, not necessarily quick service, but definitely quick service adjacent. Um, you know, dishes like sirloin and shrimp bowls, all of those are also seeing um, at least over 30% um of the locations have changed their pricing of these dishes. So, um, and, and this the- and this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the dish uh, at Subway is more expensive than the dish at Applebee's. It just means that right. the percentage of uh, of the price hike um, was larger, right? So, mo- most exactly. likely, those dishes were cheaper to begin with and have climbed more significantly. Right. So in other language, um, when when Subway or Applebee's or whoever right was sitting down to make their strategic decision about what what dishes to raise prices on, they decided that um, chicken was the place to do it. So 40% of those top dishes that have been raised in price um, that have to do with chicken. So um, chicken kind of takes the lion's share there, or the chicken share, if you will, (laughs) um, of those pricing changes. Um, And you say my jokes are bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I say it as a a fellow (laughs) bad joker. Um, So all of that is to say that, you know, when we see that there's been this month, at least in, in grocery and in retail, when we see that there's been this month-to-month slight downtick in um, pricing and retail, we're actually seeing the opposite in food service. That it, in food service, still continuing, there is this large jump um, in chicken pricing um, and in these kind of animal proteins. Right, so we talked about um, meats, poultry, fish, and eggs. So we're seeing that you know fish, poultry, meat, and eggs to an extent um, are all actually increasing significantly in food service. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be, I think, the number one uh, takeaway that I want to talk about f- at the start. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, getting more into ingredients in just a moment. But I actually want to look at McDonald's because um, I think McDonald's is one of the most interesting home for insights over the last month. Um, so, Ron, have you ever eaten at McDonald's? Of course. Great. What did you eat the last time you went to McDonald's? I may, This may shock you, but uh, it was uh, a burger, you know? A, a burger, burger and fries. Yeah. Wow. A rarity. I'm just kidding. No, of course. So yeah, burger and fries, um, obviously McDonald's as are all of its quick service um, siblings, obviously known for burgers. Um, but McDonald's is also really known for a lot of its chicken dishes, right? So McNuggets, which is um, one of the most popular dishes at McDonald's. Um, we've actually seen that a third of all McDonald's locations have raised prices of, McDonald's, of McNuggets only in the last month. Um, and that's actually the the most commonly increased 
priced dish at McDonald's currently, um, less so than burgers. Um, so we're seeing that McNuggets are at a full third of McDonald's locations, uh, their prices are being raised. Um, and for those of you who maybe aren't working directly in food service, you might be surprised by that, right? You might think that, um, you know, a, a mega chain or a big chain or even, you know, a small chain pricing decisions might be across the board, right? Um, you might look at a city like Chicago and a city like, you know, where I'm from, Richmond, Virginia, you might look at those and say, okay, pricing might be different, right? You might have a more expensive mm -hmm. McNugget dish in, in Chicago than in Richmond, but you might assume that across the board, both the Chicago and the Richmond prices will have changed um, in the same way, right? Um, but that's actually not the case, uh, that a lot of strategic decisions are being made based on geography and based on location. Um, so only a third of McDonald's locations have raised prices of McNuggets in the last month, but by far and away, that's that's shocking, right? Um, usually chains don't don't change things um, in such large percentages um, at the same so time. The, the decision is both geographic and like isolated. So it means that it's not going to be um, a, you know, 10% uh, price increase across the board. And obviously that will land at different exactly. pri prices in Chicago or in Richmond. But no, it can be different percentages. It's a completely different calculation according to the region and the area. That's what we're learning here. Exactly, exactly. So it's in um, distributors and manufacturers' best interest to understand on you know the granular level of the location that they're playing in, what kind of pricing decisions are being made by their potential food service partners or by their existing food service partners, right? If you know mm -hmm. that McDonald's in your in let's say that you have a um, you're a chicken provider and you work in the Midwest, right? And you know that uh, you know in the Midwest, sixty percent of McDonald's locations, for example, um, have changed their their McNuggets pricing. That would really need to impact the way that you pitch and sell your chicken, right? And um, that should impact the way that you price your chicken. Um, even how maybe you offer that chicken as part of your sales strategy, uh, you know, dish ideas, things like that. Obviously, new dish ideas in mega chains take a long time to implement. But um, if you're looking to position yourself as a trusted advisor, um, coming in with kind of trend information in that way is also really useful. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why it matters to know that, you know, a full third percent of McDonald's locations across the U.S. have raised prices of McNuggets uh, in the last month. If we follow that up with a different example, so again, in the animal protein realm, but this time around cheese, um, so 27% of McDonald's locations across the U.S. raised pricing of any dish that involves cheese. Um, so instead of looking at a specific dish like McNuggets, now we're thinking about any dish on a McDonald's menu that has cheese. That could be a cheeseburger, right? It could be anything that has cheese. Um, almost 30%, so 27% of restaurant locations have changed cheese. So again, same example, right? If you're selling cheese to McDonald's, it's in your best interest to know um, exactly where and how those price changes have, have taken effect. Also, if you, um, maybe a McDonald's is not the best example of this, but uh, if you are a restaurant competing in an area um, and typically you would work with your uh, partners and, um, and distributors in order to, to supply the, the ingredients that, uh, that you buy. Um, but from the distributor perspective, you need to be talking to your restaurant customers and your restaurant partners about how much their competition is charging for similar dishes. If you're selling tacos um, in a certain area and one of your partners is um, underpricing because they are afraid that, uh, that people will turn away, which I think is very, very valid right now. Because, yeah. I mean, we're talking about it in kind of like a very scientific, very kind of clean way where it's like, oh, of course, uh, you know, they raise their prices 30% here, 10% here. So you need to know about this and maybe you need to adjust the price. But at the end of the day, it affects people's 
kind of day-to-day lives, right? So yeah. it might be very easy for a mega chain to make kind of like a sweeping change. Um, and they could also sometimes afford to be a little bit uh, less expensive. Whereas if you are working with um, small chains or single locations, we see a lot of places where you know they have like five locations uh, in a state, right? And they operate locally right. and that's, that's the business. Um, and it might be harder to make these sweeping kind of price fluctuations in in that um, in that situation. So you need to have a lot of confidence in order to make price changes in these situations. And I think that right now, not just distributors, but really anyone selling to or working with uh, restaurants as well as restaurants themselves um, can really use this sort of data and the the insights both from uh, what we're talking about from the from the CPI index in order to make really smarter decisions and to make them quickly, right? Because if you're underpricing and overpaying uh, because of an inflation about for your ingredients, uh, then every day that you don't make some sort of adjustment, um, you are being left behind. You're you're most likely losing money, um, and there has to be there has to be kind of like a bit of an equilibrium here to how how we make it, you know, through um, through this period of like really increased inflation and also how do we adjust for it as soon as things maybe settle or, you know, possibly even go down. I don't know how long that will take. Right. I think that's a really good point that the recommendation here is not, Hey, everybody, um, you know, a third of McDonald's locations have changed their chicken prices or raised their chicken prices. So everybody go change and raise their chicken prices right now. Right. The recommendation is more, how are you tracking these things and understanding on a day-to-day month-to-month level where and how prices are changing so that you can respond. But also, you know, after inflation, which hopefully, um, you know, economically things will calm down soon. Um, how can you respond and, and make sure that you're, you know, saving your consumers money again? Um, we don't want to be proponents of saying, you know, everybody hike up your prices in an extreme amount because then it's just contributing to inflation itself, right? And there's a lot of economic theory here that I don't fully understand. But um, the ultimate takeaway here is, Data is the the number one thing that you can do to have in, you know have in your camp and have in your toolbox um, to navigate economically uh, volatile situations. Um, I want to give just a, a, a real life example. So we talked about the McDo- McNuggets um, example. So I want to actually do a little bit of that geographic comparison, and we'll do more in just a moment. So um, taking that example of Chicago and enrichment, um, we'll take bacon egg cheese biscuit meal. Um, which I have, have you ever had a bacon egg cheese biscuit meal, Ron? Is that like the, no, the breakfast is, uh, is an egg McMuffin, right? Um, I there's, like, um, different it, <laughs> my, uh, my brother-in-law, quick aside, my brother-in-law is, is a chef and like has been a chef at like, you know, Michelin star restaurants. Like, mm. um, the, the, the salad he just makes at home for a quick thing to, to eat like in the evening is, you know, some, crazy, you, you know, top tier, uh, can be top rated type of thing. Um, and he lives, uh, he lives in the U S spent many years in, uh, in New York, uh, and his favorite meal, like his favorite dish is an egg, like an egg McMuffin. Wow. <laughs> like he, he will go, he will go to McDonald's and he will order the, the breakfast muffin with, you know, the bacon and, uh, and the egg. I love that. Uh, I love yeah. that. That's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. So yeah, he's not alone. A lot of people, a lot of people love it. Um, I think the egg McMuffin is also one of the top selling dishes at McDonald's. Um, but if we look at the bacon, egg, cheese, biscuit meal, right. Um, 
and this is information taken from, um, you know, digitalized delivery menus. Um, if we look at that pricing in the Richmond, a Richmond location of McDonald's, um, that costs $6.59, right? And in mm-hmm. Chicago, that same meal costs $9.29. So that's, you know, 41% more expensive in Chicago than in Richmond. And you might be saying, okay, cool. That's not so interesting. Obviously, Chicago is a bigger city, higher cost of living, higher prices, right? Um, But it's actually not the case that across the board, everything in that Chicago location is more expensive than that Richmond location, right? So if we look at an example of the McCafe cinnamon roll, so another breakfast item, um, in the Richmond, Virginia location, that pastry is around $4, $4.09. And in Chicago, it's $3.39, right? So it's significantly cheaper um, as a Chicago location. So I, I like this anecdote because it's just a quick kind of um, a quick look at how pricing is like a very strategic decision based on geography and distributor relationships and consumer demand and all of this stuff. It's constantly changing. And you cannot just assume that just because one city is bigger than another or has a certain character to it than another, right? That it's going to be, um, it's going to be more expensive. And as a result, obviously like inflation will hit those different categories in different ways, right? So if you have to, if you want to make better decisions, you have to understand, um, you know, location. And as I said before, like distributor relationship, customer perception, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the consumer demand piece of that anecdote is fascinating um, so it would be interesting to look at where are cinnamon rolls more popular? Are they more popular in Richmond than they are in Chicago or yeah. the other way around? Right. And how is McDonald's um, evaluating that interest in cinnamon rolls, right? Are they looking purely at retail? Or are they looking at, you know, are they tracking social conversations? Are they looking also at like the trend of cinnamon rolls in home cooking and, and pricing, you know, yep. against that? Or are they seeing that people are actually in, in Richmond, for example, cooking cinnamon rolls so much more at home that they're actually less willing to go out and eat. And so they might as well price lower so that to attract demand, right? There's so many interesting um, kind of strategic decisions to make here that really require a look at lots of different um, sources of data and not just retail. Um, okay. So let's take a look at our second category. I want to look at coffee. Um, we're continuing kind of the, the breakfast or at least morning um, trend. Quick aside, Ron, I you know this about me. You are a big coffee person. Um, I see you drinking coffee all the time at the office. Um, I have never been a coffee person. In fact, it's been like a part of my personality. I don't know what this says about me, but a part of no. my personality that I'm like not a coffee person. Um, like I've always been like, you know, a tea girl or like... <laughs> Water <laughs> in the morning, um, but Infused ever since I, water. right, exactly. Ever since I've been at the Tel Aviv office for the last couple of months, um, I just I've become a coffee person. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know. Like not even when I was studying incredibly seriously and hard in university did I did I ever drink coffee? And here I'm just like, oh, good morning. Like here's me and my caffeine. Um, <laughs> so this coffee insight is quite interesting for me, um, just because this is a new part of my personality now. Apparently, we've influenced um, you for the worst. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now I'm just like jittery all the time. Um, Okay, so let's look at um, at coffee, which is a, a really, um, I always say this, but it is actually a really interesting category um, because coffee plays so differently in different types of big and mega chains, right? So there are big and mega chains like Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks that are built explicitly around their coffee. Obviously, they, they have other things, you know, pastries, foods, smoothies, teas, et cetera, but they're kind of known for being um, Starbucks, especially, of course, like this kind of coffee house vibe, but also Dunkin', right? They, they have a really big presence in the coffee space. They even have their own retail line of coffee that's quite popular. 
Um, so that we have, you know, those big and mega chains based on coffee. Um, and then we have other big and mega chains that coffee is part and parcel of their offerings, but that's not built around that, right? So you could go to McDonald's and you could obviously order a coffee. Um, and the McDonald's sells a lot of coffee, right? But it's not that McDonald's is built around this kind of, uh, reputation of, of coffee. So it's interesting to track how these different places um, engage with coffee a little bit differently. Um, coffee, if I remember correctly, I'll, I'll look at it now. So coffee was up um, around 16% year over year, right? We talked about that at the top of the, yeah. of the pod today. Um, so 16% year over year uh, price increase that's taken from that CPI report, which we'll put in uh, in the show notes. Um, so mm-hmm. obviously in retail, coffee has taken um, you know a really big hit, or I guess the reverse, that consumer wallets have taken a big hit because mm-hmm. coffee has, has increased so much. Um, so what's happening in, in brands, right? What's actually going on? So we can actually see that across the board, and this includes uh, all different kinds of, of uh, you know, big and mega chains. So both the coffee-specific ones and the not coffee-specific coffee ones, um, 14% of big and mega chains have increased their coffee prices in the last month. So that means if you look at a, you know, a long list of all the different brand names of big and mega chains, 14% of those have changed their coffee prices. That's not, you know, locations, right? So if, let's say, Richmond has... I don't know, 10 different McDonald's locations. We're not looking at those 10. We're looking at McDonald's as like its own um, umbrella Mm -hmm. term. So 14% of big and mega chains um, have increased their coffee prices in the last month. Mm -hmm. Um, However, only 4% of small and medium-sized chains have increased their coffee prices. And independent locations, so not chains at all, right? Single location restaurants, only 2% of those have changed their coffee prices. So that's a striking difference, right? By far and away, big and mega chains have increased their coffee prices far more than small and medium and single location. Um, so there are, you know, a lot of theories as to why, why this could be. Um, one yep. of them is because, uh, a coffee tends to be on the kind of lower side of price ranges, um, when it's not the star of the show, quote unquote. Right. So if McDonald's is, is serving a coffee or, you know, Sailor John's, I don't know, bakery down the street, right. A single location is serving coffee that tends to be on the lower, lower end of things, right. We're unlikely to find, um, a coffee that's priced more than let's say $5, depending on where you live. Um, or at yep. least you know, some places might have, of course, like more than $5, but, um, in kind of the very expensive places, but, um, we're seeing that though, that's kind of smaller, um, smaller price share generally. Um, and also Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a pretty steady source of, of, uh, of engagement and of income, right? Like a lot of people buy coffee, a lot of people drink coffee. And so messing with the prices of coffee, um, oftentimes will lead to uh, a pretty negative consumer perception, right? I wonder if it's also, um, because, there are probably more single locations that are like specialty coffee places uh, rather yeah. than um, a coffee at like a Dunkin' Donuts will already be probably like the cheapest cup of coffee you could get. Um, that's probably going to be the starting point compared to a single location. And of course, like you could go into uh, like a grocery store that sells coffee um, but, uh, or, or even a gas station or, or anything like that. But I, I right. would imagine that there are in this calculation, many, many specialty coffee places where obviously the coffee is going to be much more expensive, um, which could be a prohibitor to raising prices even further. Um, or of course, you know, the fear of driving away customers and the inability to right. compete with, uh, the larger chains. Right. So I think, I think that's part of the story. I think there are also mm-hmm. lots of, um, you know, big and mega chains that actually do have, uh, specialty coffees, which we're going to talk about in a second, which actually do have higher price ranges, right? So big and mega chains are already used to consumers. Like think about, um, 
pumpkin spice latte, right? We're not in the season for pumpkin spice latte, but think about how, you know, when that comes, people are willing to spend so much more, um, on, you know, the various variations and syrups and all different kinds of things, um, for seasonal drinks than they are otherwise. So there's actually moments in big and, big and mega chains. I mean, especially around the coffee focused ones where coffee is actually, um, you know, this, like a higher price range than you might expect or that we do yeah. expect, sorry, but that you might expect from, from what you were saying. So if we look at the um, the seasonal drinks, so Dunkin' specifically, Dunkin' Donuts, um, I guess now formerly known, former, formerly, formerly known as Dunkin' Donuts, formerly now known as Dunkin', um, is relying on changing the prices of its seasonal drinks now, so its summery drinks, um, instead of its staples. So if we look at... Um, they're like full, if we look at the top 10 of their, of the coffee drinks that have changed, uh, or raised prices within Dunkin', um, 50% of those are actually the cold specialty drinks. So, uh, like summer oriented, you know, iced coffee, cold coffee beverages, right? So that comprises 50% of the coffee that has actually seen the changes. Does that make sense? What I'm, mm-hmm. what I'm trying to yeah. say here. So like Dunkin's inflation strategy seems to be targeting specialty drinks and increasing prices for those kind of quote unquote newer, a little bit more um, novelty menu items because consumers are already perhaps uh, prepared to spend a little bit more for those things because they feel special and rare and, you know, they don't have them year round, um, but they're yeah. not messing with the prices of the staple stuff. Right. Um, and even in myself, I can, I can see that in myself, I'm willing to pay, you know, far more for a, a fun summer specialty drink than I am for just a regular drink that I might get all year round, even if the ingredients are, you know, pretty much the same. Um, so I think that that's really, really interesting. Um, however, we're actually not seeing a huge amount of pricing changing on Dunkin' menus across the country if we look at locations, right? So we know kind of on a macro level, Dunkin' is changing these these prices of seasonal summer drinks. They're not doing it everywhere. In fact, they're doing it in very few places. Um, so I think the, the kind of second layer of insight here um, is that uh, these big and mega chains are actually uh, not so willing to mess with coffee. Um, and this goes back to what you were saying at the start, right? Um, not so willing to mess with coffee. And then this is also going to Starbucks. Starbucks basically has very like nominal changes um on their menus for for coffee or for anything really i don't think that uh i've ever had a pumpkin spice latte well time to change that i suppose (laughs) give it a few months um all right so we've just looked at uh coffee so looking at kind of these inflation uh you know moments of, of pricing change and also consumer perception um, within an ingredient level. And we've also looked at these big and mega chains so looking at, you know, Dunkin' and Starbucks and and all this. So these are kind of two of those strategies of understanding um, inflation changes in food service. And we've benchmarked it against the retail data that we saw from CPI. So kind of understanding, you know, if if something is changing year over year and there's been this huge year over year change, but something is actually decreasing month over month a little bit, what's the impact um, when we step out of the grocery store and into a restaurant? Are we seeing it in the same way? And the answer is no, right? So um, I think the biggest takeaway here that I want to leave you all with, um, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about this more on our, our next episode of the pod, uh, where we'll talk much more about um, you know brand analysis and even geographical analysis a little bit more in the U.S., um, the biggest takeaway here is that having access to menu change data on the granular location level is crucial for understanding how to navigate for your own brand this moment of inflation. So understanding what pricing changes you need to be making, when, for whom, right? This is all crucial information um, to be able to kind of weather this storm. So I want to pause there. Ron, do you have any questions or ideas that you want to offer before we sign off for the day? I think uh, the I think the important thing here is 
to to be able to consistently track um, the price fluctuations of the space that you are working with and the space of your competitors. Um, I think you will just go insane trying to make sense of all of the price fluctuations across all of these different categories. Because as we see, there's always a strategy behind it, but sometimes it can be a, a little bit hard to see, just like we can see with the Richmond versus Chicago uh, example. Um, we are going to be working on uh, inflation-related content for um, most of the rest of uh, next month. Um, so uh, if uh, there's anything specific that you want us to look into, either here or on TasteWise Live, our weekly research session, that I think we've now done, what, 56 sessions? 55 sessions? 55. Next week will be 56, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so if there's anything that you'd like us to look into through the lens of inflation, uh, just shoot us a mail at uh, live at tastewise.io uh, because most of this content, most of uh, these podcast episodes, TasteWise Live, um, all of these are really driven by things that uh, both our community and our customers are interested in. Um, so we'd love, love, love to hear from you. You can also just reach out to us on, uh, on social media as well or individually. Um, I'd like to thank the team who makes this podcast possible. Obviously, Miriam and Dayan and uh, Daniel and uh, the rest of the team who helps us put together all of this amazing research. And, and this was fascinating. So Miriam, thank you for putting it together. I also want to call out just quickly, um, Yoav Zinger, um, who helped me quite a lot with pulling all of this data and, and understanding how to, to, to do it. I'm not an economic expert, so he was a, a crucial, crucial behind-the-scenes partner in this. So thank you. That's awesome. Um, and that's it. And I'd like to say happy birthday to my twin daughters, Lily and June, <laughs> that happy if birthday, in the far, far June. future, you'll listen to the Food Intelligence podcast, um, then uh, you'll have a little Easter egg in one of the episodes yeah, about the, the fun topic. <laughs> yeah, about the fun topic of inflation, which thankfully oh, they are okay. too young to know anything about. <laughs> and hopefully when they listen to this in the far future, it will not be something that they are dealing with. Uh, yes, so we will get back to their mermaid slash unicorn cake that we are making for them today. <laughs> Is that what you made them last year? <laughs> uh, last year, it was only unicorns and rainbows. This year, it is very, very mermaid, very mermaid focused. Love it. Um, <laughs> so we hope this has been useful for you, everybody, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.